Welcome to Podcast Like It Is 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Gove. I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, filling in for your regular host, Emily St. James. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's my Instagram handle now. I'm Emily St. James. So... (laughs) I love it. Uh, so, you know, listen, this is uh, this is our intro to a brand new podcast. Um, listeners of podcasts like it's 1999, 89, 2009 are, I imagine, you know, uh, accustomed to the dulcet tones of Mr. Kenneth Nybart. But uh, he's decided to retire. He decided to drop the mic uh, and that's on him. Are we going uh, to, w- like, retire his number? Is it yeah, going to, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, we'll hang it from the rafters. Yeah, we'll, sure. we'll, yeah. we'll get it up at the Rebel Talk offices. That's what we'll do. We'll <laughs> It'll just, be great. Yeah, yeah. and don't you worry. Uh, Kenny Nybart will still continue to be on screen drafts because nothing could possibly <laughs> stop him from doing that. Um, but, listen, I wasn't going to stop because, quite frankly, it's too much fun to do this podcast. But also, Emily St. James decided that she would do it with me. And who am I to say no to that yeah i was like i'm gonna do it on a trial basis yeah and yeah. then and we'll see what you happens. were like and then i was like maybe i won't and then you were like st himes coming on and i was like well yes this is now Whatever. i now am this is now a thing that i do and then i got laid off so that like this is all this is what i got going for me right now well, so listen, <laughs> i am i am so thrilled and so honored to have you on this podcast Emily and I mean that from the bottom of my heart thank you you know it has been a joy becoming friends with you through and through your the arc that is Emily St. James over the course of the last few years has been beautiful to to behold Um, and I'm just excited to talk about a year where you've seen like five movies (laughs) so that's exciting yes absolutely I have um, 1992 when you were like, okay, so Kenny's leaving, yeah. I'm going to do a new year. And you were like, I'm thinking about some things. This was like long yeah. before I was like, yeah. maybe I will be involved in any yeah. capacity. Sure. And I was like, well, the natural follow-up to 1999 for me is yeah. 2001. Like 2001, great film year. You, Lord of the Rings starts. You've got, you know, I don't know why like Gosford Park is the first movie I thought of, but you've got, you got that. You've got sure, like got, in the got bedroom. There's Royal Tenenbaums. It's just like this brilliant year. Mulholland Drive, Royal Tenenbaums, yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of the promise of 99 is resolved and like sort of hits hits its uh, stride in 2001. So it's like, naturally, Phil's going to do that. You can call it 2001, a podcast odyssey. It's going to be great. (laughs) And, you know, um, that didn't happen. And then you were like, I'm going to do podcasts like it's 1992. And I was like, oh, Okay, a fan of Paul Songus. Like like that I just, you know, um it was it was baffling to me. We're going to get into why it was baffling to me. Sure, sure. But sure. I want to I like want to hear I can't believe I'm leading off this podcast by being like, this is a bad idea for a podcast. You kind of are. Well, here's, here's, I want to be, I want to be, give me a rationale. Yeah. I'm going to give a a rationale and I'm going to give sort of a a bigger picture in terms of how I see this podcast potentially moving forward. Sure. People can hold me to this. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But this is where my head is at. The reality is that I am a big fan of the 90s. I think that the 90s is a, is a, uh, was a phenomenal decade, perhaps the last time we were all happy and perhaps functioning as a, as a country a little bit. Well, just whatever. All that being said, um, it was just a really great time for movies because you really could see over the course of that decade how the kind of box office 80s sort of mutates through the 90s and then you see franchises and all the sort of shit that we've got now and i feel like it's a great petri dish to see sort of how the breadth of cinema has narrowed and how it's all kind of changed and and i think you really kind of can see it as a fulcrum point for hollywood that i think is really fascinating so you ask why 92 the reality is I kind of looked around at all the different years and I was like, what's a way for me to kind of get as close to midway between 89 and 99. So I could kind of use that as a wedge to be able to sort of see these two polars uh, at either end of it. But then I got to be honest with you now, Emily, as we've been 
starting to record this podcast. I'm looking at 92. There is a part of me that at the end of this year, I might just say fuck it and podcast like it's the 1990s and just open up the tent a lot bigger and just do the 90s moving forward. But we'll see. I was I was going to say, if you wanted to find a point between 1989 and 1999, these are fucking numbers. 1994 is literally right in between 1989 and 19. Like, like that. That is. True. Listen, that is I'm going I'm I'm the math nerd here and like I know that's <laughs> but I, true. But I want I and you're not you're not wrong. I I'll, I'll and, and I'm again there there is a rationale here. And the rationale is that in the mid 90s it's when you start to see it really starts to become a lot more um box office oriented. Sure. That's when it really starts to So 92 and I'm just going to run through this real quick here. The top 10 box office highest grossing films of 1992 were Aladdin, The Bodyguard, Home Alone 2, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct made almost $400 million. Just FYI, people. Uh, Lethal Weapon 3, Batman Returns, A Few Good Men, Sister Act, Dracula, Wayne's World. So you're already starting to see there's obviously Home Alone 2, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, Batman. You've already got a couple franchises in there, right? But you're also seeing like the spectrum of what exists there, that the bodyguard made $500 million almost. Mm -hmm. Like you're just seeing something different that essentially gets pretty much eradicated pretty quickly uh, in in the span of like two years. Well, you are like the, just to not yeah. to no longer dunk on the concept of this podcast. Sure. Um, the one of the things I think is fascinating is we now talk about how, you know, nobody goes to movies for adults. There are no movies for adults, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to be clear, that is a process that's been happening for a long ass time, yes. arguably since the dawn of television. Like yes. and, and like like, you know, but the, the pandemic in the last couple of years has greatly accelerated that you have you know this this past year you had movies like tar the fablemans um you know like the fablemans he said 10 years ago would have made you know a, a cool 70 million you know it wouldn't have been like a huge smash but it would have made back its money and it probably would have won a bunch of awards and people would have been like great and like you know it might still win obviously we that is in the future but it made like what like eight million dollars and it's, it's like it's eking it might get to 20 ultimately like and like we're talking like end maybe 20 that is i think a brilliant movie i think it's one of spielberg's best and i'm like you know okay sure and like uh, but what i think is fascinating about i I want to just add an addendum to what you're saying for what it's worth just because i think it is something that speaks to what you're talking about we'll never know how much it's making in vod yeah exactly so anyway continue um yeah and like one thing i find fascinating is as someone who looks closely at, at cultural journalism and things like that, this is an addendum to your addendum. Mm-hmm. It is amazing how much the memes and discussion and comments on my letterbox reviews and so on and so forth, how much those pick up after a movie somewhere on streaming. There's like a fucking like, like on Twitter, you can find Fableman's jokes every day or just being like, look at this shot or just being like, I think it's so funny when Seth Rogen just pops up in this shot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I part of it is when the movies in theaters, you can't do that. You know, like obviously there are avatar, the way of water memes and things going around, but that's kind of like, it has to be that big of a movie for that to happen. It has to be that, or like the MCU or or top gun Maverick or something. Um, Or of course, minions, the rise of Gru. Um, Everyone's favorite minions. But yeah. um, Is, is minions (laughs) are the minions movies set in the nineties. Can we cover they might be the minions movies sure yeah all right i don't see why not minions corner I mean, it, it must be in well i don't know if it's the 90s but when grew was growing up i guess is your question right like little yeah. grew must have been in the late 90s yeah. early 2000s right yeah somebody yeah. check this for us if <laughs> somebody if, let us know if minions takes place in the 90s we are definitely doing definitely a minions corner it. episode we'll we'll have on just every every minions fan there is anyway yes go ahead please to incept my way back please to where this conversation mm-hmm. began mm-hmm. i think that this like as we're watching these movies and as I, I was on 99 a whole bunch of times and like you look at the difference between the two years and 92 is like, yes, they are still like making all these different genres and they haven't died out by 99, but they're a lot thinner on the ground. So this is like, the, I want to say kind of the last gasp of 
quote unquote movies for adults, I think you see them really start to die out in the next few years when you have movies like Jurassic Park, Independence Day that are ostensibly for adults, but like grab that huge audience. And like, obviously people knew what blockbusters were, but summer 93 and summer 96 for me are big times when like, yeah, there are movies like here's a good example. The Fugitive a movie that we we can't cover by virtue of the fact that it is from the year 1993 yeah, yeah, at yeah, the moment yeah. until you decide podcasts like it's movies and we just talk about whatever but I never do that <laughs> but uh the uh but yeah the fugitive is this movie that is pretty adult you know it is it is aimed at adults but it's pg-13 it's got a lot of big action sequences you could see that movie when you are 12 as i did and be like this is the best fucking movie ever made and like it is it is playing to that audience and then like as the world of um at home dvr uh streaming dvd players as that becomes more of a time suck for adults you see the audience of teenagers and 20-somethings, especially men, getting targeted. And that leads to the world we're in today. So this is like 92 is this weird cusp of a year for reasons other than my own like personal issues, which we'll get into in a moment. Which we will absolutely unpack in a moment. But I I do think that, you know, to, to highlight the fugitive thing, so so far, you know, not to not to whatever, but we, you know, we record these out of order a little bit. So this this is actually being recorded after we have recorded a handful of episodes. And if you look at like the fact that we did our Under Siege episode with Ben Hosley, that's ninety two. The next year is ninety three with the same director, a lot of the same cast, Tommy Lee Jones. But it's now a PG thirteen movie. It makes infinitely more money mm-hmm. than under siege does right i mean it's mm-hmm. obviously it's a harrison ford vehicle it's this and whatever but like just putting those two films next to each other you can see the difference between just 92 to 93 right i right. mean and literally in the wikipedia i have the wikipedia article open here there's only one event quote unquote in the page and it says august 24th production begins on jurassic park so it is i mean we are really kind of seeing a page being turned in Hollywood towards boys from like 11 to 16, yeah. where it's like, how do we get as many of them into the theaters as humanly possible? It is bonkers to me. They turned around Jurassic Park that fast. Like yeah. it's, they start filming late August. They're out mid June 93. That's, yeah. that's amazing. That's, that's incredible. Amazing. Good, good work. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Like good work, Steven Spielberg. That's what people don't let's say. Get that it, let's get him on the phone. Let's just pull him in here and just tell him he did a good job a really on Jurassic job. Park. Good I, movie. I mean, it, it is. It's also an interesting year. I want to talk just a little bit about we're going to we will do an episode specifically about the Oscars of that year. Um, so I we don't I don't want to go too deep into this, but just for what it's worth, even just your best picture nominees mm-hmm. from 92 versus even just 93 the next year. I mean, you've got Unforgiven, Crying Game, Few Good Men, Howard's End, Sent to a Woman. Yeah. Now, those are all, I mean, outside of the Crying Game, I'm assuming these are all studio pictures, right? I mean, yep. so, yep. you know, big studio pictures. Um, and I mean, that, Merchant, Merchant yeah. Ivory is its own weird little thing, but yes, we're just sure. going to say yes. Yes. Sure. It's just, it's an interesting year. It's a year that like, I look at the Oscars, you know, next year, obviously you've got Schindler's List, which sweeps and, and you've got all that, you know, you've got the piano, you've got Schindler's List, you've got what have you. It is really interesting. And as we approach the Academy Award nominations to date this episode, but they're going to be coming out on Tuesday. And I do think that the Oscars, not only have they become less relevant, Part of the problem is exactly what you were talking about a moment ago, which is the diffusion of how people watch movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, th- it's a mess. You, know, you look at this year's Oscar lineups, and there is just uh, there's a real good shot that Top Gun Maverick and Avatar: The Way of Water, the two biggest films of the year, are both going to be nominated for Best Picture and several other awards. Probably they will like trade off winning all the tech categories you might even see top gun maverick win some above the lines mm-hmm. um but you know i don't think it's going to give the oscars a huge ratings boost i think we've gotten to a place where like film culture is now 
you know, um, confined entirely to certain corners of Twitter and Letterboxd. You know, a movie is movies are no longer the center of our culture in the way they were back then. You know, it's it's a thing that people do sometimes. It's well, it is interesting. You know, I would say that the one of the big things that the streaming world has done, not even just for movies, but for television as well, is it's allowed you to sort of surgically figure out what your demo is and say, if we can get a million people to watch this show, if we can get a million people to watch this movie, that's a win. That's a success, right? That's not a success, you know, or was not deemed a success 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And I think that now you're just, it's so diffused. There used to be this argument about the Oscars, I would say probably going on like seven to 10 years ago, which was, Start nominating movies people have seen. If you do that, your ratings will go up because people will start watching again. And I don't think that's true to your point. I think like there was a year, uh, twenty, uh, the 2018 Oscars awarded in 2019. They nominated Star is Born. They nominated Black Panther. They nominated Bohemian Rhapsody. They nominated movies that made a bunch of money and their ratings went up a little bit. People like people just, that culture is gone and not even in the sense of like the highbrow. It's in the sense of like this entire like world that's like casually cares about movies as a, a fundamental part of our cultural firmament is just like eroded to hell. Well, and, and this is a question I'm curious to hear your answer on because I, I don't I don't know how you feel about this, but I hate I don't, it. <laughs> I don't know that live means what it used to mean either. Yes. Which is that I don't think that generationally speaking, I would say the generation behind me. So, you know, Gen Z and whatever the fuck the one after that is. I don't think they give a shit whether or not they're on the pulse. Like, I don't know that they care about a thing that's happening. Like, I'm sure they'll chime in about it. And if it's a big enough thing, you know, if it's Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, it's going to kind of take over Twitter and they're all going to find out about it as it's happening. But like, I this is all just a long way of saying that I think part of the reason that these award shows and even sporting events aren't doing what they used to do is because I don't think people care as much about watching. Th- and like online. Twitter is also a platform primarily for people in their 30s and 40s. So not also. people that young, people in their 20s. My sister's in her 20s and she spends all her time on TikTok. And like, you know, like sure. good yeah. for her. We'll have her on the show someday. It'll be great. Wait. Yeah. yeah Why not? She was born in 1992. <laughs> no, she, oh, no, she wasn't even. I feel like we have to do a month where we just have people on who were born after 1992 and just be like, what's up? How do you feel oh, it's about gonna be, it's going to be this. great. We, we have a, yeah. a guest coming on. I mean, I'll just say it. We have Emily, Stef- uh, Emma Stefanski coming on to talk about cool world, a movie that I, she honestly was just like, I've heard of this movie. I've, I've put it off because everyone keeps telling me how bonkers it is, but she doesn't I mean, I, was she born in 92? Maybe she feels like someone who might've been born in 2016 and just like is preternaturally gifted. Like that definitely could exactly. be true. You can't exactly. prove it's not true. I, I can't prove it's not true. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure that she, I mean, yeah, this is all just a long way of saying that I do think generationally we're at a place where it's part of why, like, 92 was an opportunity also because when we did our 89 Patreon, it is interesting because like 89 had some really seismic movies, like just movies that really moved the dial. If it's a When Harry Met Sally, if it's a Do the Right Thing, whatever the case might be. And I felt like generationally I was worried about having younger guests on that didn't, you know, Danish Schwartz came on to talk about Little Mermaid and she wasn't born in 1989 like i i i or maybe she was i don't know long story short i think that we're in this sort of interesting pocket in 92 where there are these things that kind of popped up and broke through and broke out but i also think there's a lot of just like really solid kind of i don't want to say journeyman movies but i think about my cousin Vinny's, and i think about my you know movies that sort of white men can't jump a lot of them are comedies but still that have sort of had this long tail that's lasted and i'm just fascinated to talk about those as well yeah i'm still thinking about this comparison between under siege and the fugitive yeah because our our guest on the under siege episode is ben hosley your friend and mine and he says that under siege is an uncle ass movie which it is and like and but the fugitive the fugitive immediately is like what if we took america's uncles 
and made a movie for them that also you can get everybody else in. And it just is like this, this changing, because I do think 89 is a big, because obviously the big movie in 89 is Batman and Batman is this like thing in our, that changes so much of film culture, especially how films are marketed. But you know, you've also got things like fucking Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is this like uh, fun, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Little Mermaid, which are lifelines to the struggling Walt Disney Corporation, who, as we all know, went out of business shortly thereafter yeah, yeah, and yeah. doesn't control all anymore. of media. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, this is, you know, you're talking me into this. 1992 is definitely a year that happened and I lived through it. So I, I do like that you're holding a pacifier during all of this. I got, I have a baby. This is this is another. So listen, if you're if you're listening to this show, here's one of the storylines you can track. It's how I have a baby, and sometimes I have to like take care of the baby as we're recording. And Phil thinks I'm very good at it. I think you're very good at it, Emily. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so I do want to talk about some uh, just for a, a brief second here. I'm going to uh, uh, talk about the winners of some of the awards. From 1992, um, our Golden Globe winners of 1992, which which were announced on January 23rd, 1993, uh, the best drama, Scent of a Woman, Ooh. the best, the best musical and or comedy, everyone's favorite, The Player, a hilarious comedy, a comedy that Very had funny. everyone rolling in the aisles. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, best director was given to Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. Uh, yeah. Best actor al pacino for central woman for comedy or musical tim robbins for the player again the players i love the player but it is a dark dark comedy yes i think it's great that clint eastwood won all those best director awards in 1992 the year he was 92 so it was like <laughs> you know it was like when you're when you turn 30 and your birthday is on the 30th and you're like it's my that was his golden oscar year and they were like yeah. here you go clint you're 92, so you win and all the Oscars. And then when he won in 2005, when he was 2005. Yes. Was, was, <laughs> well, he had looped back around. He was five. He had Benjamin he Buttons. He Benjamin Buttons. Yeah. Um, other winners, Emma Thompson for Howard's and Gene Hackman for Unforgiven. Uh, Bo Goldman wins uh, for Scent of a Woman. These are all the Golden Globes. BAFTAs. A little bit more interesting. Howard's End wins for Best Film. Robert Altman wins for Best Director for The Player. Robert Denny Jr. wins for Chaplin. Emma Thompson wins for for Howard's End. Um, you know, and then and it's it, it's just it was an interesting cross section. You had Aladdin winning all the all the songs. Mencken winning. Neil Jordan wins uh, Best Original Screenplay for The Crying Game. You know, I don't honestly think that many people realize that. That like Neil Jordan is an Academy Award winning director. Like I, I, it's a weird thing. He's an Academy Award winning screenwriter. I don't think he ever fair won enough, director. <laughs> I'm. This is this is jumping ahead to our crying Please. game episode, which yeah, has yeah. not been recorded. But I just want you to be thinking about this as we as we prep for that. Neil Jordan is the Ryan Murphy of the '90s, and uh, this is the thing I firmly take. believe. So That's a, that is that is interesting. I would. Oh boy, is that. Okay, so I need to unpack that just very briefly with you here. We'll do this in a more, you know, uh, we'll unpack it in full on the actual episode. But because it, it kind of, it made my brain hurt a little bit, but it's not wrong. I think Neil Jordan is a more, uh, a, a richer, more, uh, a deeper filmmaker artist He's more so he is more consistent than ryan murphy i think ryan murphy's um i think ryan murphy i've loved a lot of his stuff i think his greatest skill is at producing i think he's a sure, sure. amazing producer a very good director a hit and miss writer and like uh, th yeah. those are like how i'd rank his three but like he's so good at coming up with projects and putting the right people on them and finding the right That's cast true. and all that well here's here's a question for you because you know after this we are going to record the very first Patreon episode. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about Emily St. James in the woods yeah. um, and, and sort of fairy tale ish yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Have you seen his in the company of wolves? Yes. Yes. I love, Interesting I do. Movie. I do love that movie. I, I haven't seen it since college, but like sure. the thing that I think Neil Jordan has that sort of unites him mm -hmm. with Ryan Murphy is there is this weird queer progressivism to Neil Jordan's work. And Neil Jordan is ostensibly a cis straight man. We don't assume anybody's gender or sexuality on podcasts like it's 1992, including we our never own. Do that. We, would we do interrogate that. every week. Yeah. Yep. Um, but 
I th- I think so. Like, and Ryan Murphy, of course, is is a is a gay man, so he is you know yeah. coming at it from a distinctly queer perspective. Mm-hmm. But Neil Jordan is like a very over the top grand wingnol. He loves to have these big. As sort of epic things but they're always sure. got this like weird queer sensibility oh, yeah. there's always this like odd sense of like we're going to talk about progressive issues kind of forthrightly a thing that people have sort of forgotten about the crying game is as trent depictions of trans people go in 1992 it's it's not bad mm-hmm. the thing that people remember the crying game and it being bad about trans and it is bad about trans people. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not, but the yeah. the thing that people are really mad about is Ace Ventura pet detective rips it off. And like, it's very horribly violently transphobic yeah. as trans, as transphobia goes in 1992, the crying game allows that character to have a rich inner life and be a person in a similar way that I think silence of the lambs does with Buffalo bill. But I think when we record that episode, we're going to have to have six trans people on and just like crowd fill out of the studio. Yeah. So be great. I'll just, I'll be, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be off silently. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure people will disagree with me. Cause I'm, you know, always just trying to appease the sis. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I, I you know, First of all, I am interested and excited to talk about that film because I do think that film, um, I'm not, I've not seen it since it, since like back in the day. So first of all, I want to rewatch it, but I also feel as though its reputation, right? Mm-hmm. To your point is oddly fused to Ace Ventura. Because which everyone, Ace Ventura which is, just rips it off. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so I, I do look forward to watching it again with a more sort of analytical lens. But I also think, too, like part of that film's success, at least the way I remember it when it came out and at the awards and what have you, was how shocking it was. Right. Yes. And that this movie was trying to uh, how audacious it was. Right. That's not necessarily the way we want to be talking about no. the trans community, obviously. No. So yeah, it's, it's I think that that is that is a big part of it, and a lot of that is kind of on the marketing to some degree. True. A lot of that is kind of on the conversation around that movie, the famous mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert thing, where they nearly came to blows over revealing the identity of the trans woman at the Story Center. Like one other thing that is really un- uncomplicated about the Crying Games legacy is it is like kind of the start of Harvey Weinstein as a, as an Oscar uh, <laughs> Titan. And like, yeah. as we all know, that didn't end up Everything being a bad thing for yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. It, it's listen, it's a complicated movie. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this year as well. Cause I do think that these complicated things like it is interesting, you know, having done 352 episodes of podcasts like it's 1999 and covering all the movies that came out that year. I don't actually think that 1999 was a particularly progressive year in that way. There's there are ways that it is progressive, but it but certainly not when it comes to race and gender. Yeah. In 99, you're seeing the beginnings of what the 2000s became, which was like everything was aimed at white men between 15 and 25. And so you rarely had films about women. You rarely had films about non-white people. You rarely had queer films that, that were in the mainstream. Certainly now we're in this very weird era where like, you know, there will be two girls who kiss in a Star Wars movie and Disney will be like, we did it, everybody. And then they'll quietly cut it out when it goes to China. But like, you know it it is it is what it is but i you know it is interesting because i do think i mean obviously we had you on to talk about the matrix but i think the matrix is sort of the 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 coded movie like the way that you i mean even fight club which is coded and then misread both these movies were coded and misread at the time it's just interesting how you know you had a lot of really brilliant artists trying to bake these ideas into these movies. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only way to kind of get it, get it passed. Yeah. Were there other awards winners you wanted to touch on? Um, Who won the Palm door? That's a, that is a, that's a good question. Uh, I I wish I could tell you off the top of my head, but I'm going to tell you right now. I hope Um, it's like, uh, I hope it's Sister Act. I hope Sister Act won the Palm Door. It's Ingmar Bergman's The Best Intentions. Never heard of it. I've <laughs> never seen that or heard of it. Heard of it? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, available now on that Prime is Video for free. Fucking wild to think about. Ingmar Bergman, 
still making movies at this point in time. We should have him on. It's. Do you know who? Here's what I'm going to tell you though. Uh, I'm going to tell you the jurors. Okay. Of the 1992. <laughs> it's it's a real. It's okay. it's pretty amazing. Uh, Gerard Depardieu. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it already. John Borman, Carlo uh-huh. De Palma, Jamie Lee Curtis, okay. Pedro Almodovar. Okay. But, I mean, and then a bunch of people that unfortunately I don't know. That's not to say that they're not very talented. Uh, the let's, opening let's, film. Listen, listen, Jamie Lee Curtis is doing the rounds for everything everywhere all at once. Let's get her on and just be like, explain yourself. Explain what was this? Yourself. The opening film, Basic Instinct. The closing film, Far and Away. I mean, okay. listen, the Palme d'Or, the, the, the Cannes Film Festival in 1992 was kind of a banger there was a bunch of stuff in competition basic instinct was in competition god bless him but yeah no it was it yeah that's uh it's a weird year um yeah i mean listen there there were a lot of great movies that came out we are going to cover a lot of them um just to give you a here's a smattering of some of the films that we're going to cover uh Batman Returns, Death Becomes Her, Toys, Unforgiven, My Cousin Vinny, Basic Instinct, Dracula, Last of the Mohicans, The Bodyguard, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, A League of Their Own. I could keep going, but there's a lot and there's a lot of good ones. I, I will tell you when you said, yes, I want to do 92. Yes. I, I literally was like, oh, he just wants to talk fucking Batman Returns. He's going to do like six Batman Returns episodes. And that's. And I was like, why doesn't he just launch the Batman Returns minute? <laughs> it's not, not it true. <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, I have been on a podcast where I talked about Batman Returns. I went on Norm Wilner's podcast. So people can listen to that, that to tide them over until we do our month of Batman Returns. But I'm kidding. We're not going to do a month of Batman Returns. But- Let's do a month of Batman Returns all with people who weren't born in 1992. <laughs> and have never seen a Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> who don't know who Batman is. <laughs> like we're finding jurors for the oj simpson trial <laughs> yeah i mean listen guys uh it's gonna be a lot of fun we're gonna have a lot of great guests uh as as emily mentioned our very first episode is gonna be with sd heim who's gonna who came on to talk with us about aladdin and how much she wants to have sex with the genie um hot, we hot genie it's <laughs> hot a hot genie, genie. Let's um, just face it. You know, we've got lots of great guests coming up. Um, some new ones, some fan favorites, um, and it's gonna be great. And Emily will, you know, she's she's you know, she's here. What Listen, can you ask? I mean I'm special guest host. You special know? guest host. The, I said I was gonna call myself that so that if I just suddenly disappear, people are like, Well, she was the special guest host. It's so true. <laughs> I think that I you know, as Emily I has have said a fucking many baby. Times, uh, she's got a baby, she's commitment phobic clearly because that's the type of people that have babies um and listen she's going to be here for as many episodes as she can be and if she's not here from week to week there'll be someone else in her steed before we wrap this up because i know we're heading that way i do want to ask a little bit about i've been thinking about this as we've recorded these episodes i was on 99 a bunch of times and for me the difference between the handful of movies I've seen from 92, which we'll get into, and the the many movies I've seen from 99 is, in 99, I was a teenager. I had sort of critical faculties, you know, like nascent ones, not great ones, but nascent ones. And so, like, I can watch a movie from 99, and for the most part, my opinion I held then still makes sense to me. I might have changed my mind, like I have on American Beauty, sure. but I wa- I can watch that movie and be like, I get what... 18 year old me songs when i watch a movie from 92 that's like i'm i'm a still a kid and like these are movies that are like very nostalgia inducing aladdin is a movie i've seen a billion times i know everything down to the line readings Mm -hmm. and like you know i can't i'm not capable of seeing flaws in that movie i i know they exist i have the professional training to be able to be like this and this and this doesn't quite work but like it, I, I, it, I'm overwhelmed by that sort of sense memory of seeing that movie in the theater when I was a kid and being like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Similarly, some of the other movies that we've covered that I've seen, like A Few Good Men, which I saw on video, you know, I remember just being blown away by that. And I'm wondering like how we're going to sort of, if this is a thing that you've experienced of like how we're going to chart, because this is, as, this is as much about what it's like to be a kid versus being a late teenager for us that the, 
the elder millennial young Gen Xer folks, the Xennials who host this podcast and were at exactly the right age to have those experiences versus someone who is coming to Cool World. I mean, we're all coming to Cool World for the first time, let's face it. But like versus someone who was not alive when Cool World was or not cognizant when Cool World was like a thing, you know? You know, I think that that's listen. That is something that we are going to grapple with as we as we move forward through this. I, I you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I do think that uh, for listeners of our three hour a few good men episode coming out in a couple of weeks, you're going to realize <laughs> you're going to realize that that uh, myself, Liz, and Brian uh, think very fondly of that film, and it's not that Emily doesn't like it; it's that she can't actually recite the entire script. As, as as we do um you know and and i think that i'm, I'm going to use that movie as a, as a a petri dish for your argument because i think it's a good one which is that um i can see the flaws in a few good men there it's, it's not as though i can't see them um but i also have this movie in my dna so there's a part of there's a push and pull that's going on there i do wonder what that push and pull or if there will be any push and pull for somebody who, for instance, Emma Stefanski sits down to watch Cool World and is like, what is this and why does this exist? Yeah. Um, but then I also think, you know, Monkey Bone was made a few years later and it's basically Cool World. Um, yeah, I remember when Monkey Bone came out, I was like, oh, that's like Cool World. Like, literally, I did have that thought. I had never seen Cool World. I never saw Monkey Bone either. I didn't even watch it when Blank Check did it. I was like, I don't need to see this. This is not a thing. I can die happy having not right. seen Monkey Bone. Here's um, what I do know. Cool World's definitely better than Monkey Bone. <laughs> like, I don't know how much better, but it's better. Well, we'll find out. That's that's we'll so, folks, put a, put a pin in that. That's another storyline we've launched. Will yeah. Phil like Cool World more than Monkey Bone? Like that's we're gonna find out. We're gonna learn. We're also there's a mystery that will be solved at the yes. end of this podcast. Will yes. you explain that mystery for us? Yes. Please? So uh one of the things that is true about me, and if you've read anything I've ever written, especially at the AV Club, you know I talked about this in like every recap I wrote of fucking glee. I would be like, by the way, I was raised fundamentalist Christian. I didn't get to watch a lot of TV and movies. And then people would be like, how, what does this have to do with Leah Michelle singing baby got back? And you're like, I don't know. I just, I had to drop it in there. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a very religious, religiously repressed environment. I grew up in a home where I was not allowed to consume most media. Um, and I've already brought this up in like half the episodes we've recorded, so I'm going to try and stop bringing it up so often. But I, I, I see these episodes as all being reviews of Glee. So you should. These episodes are all reviews of Glee. My wife just said, "Now you're bringing it up in this episode, Libby. This is the introductory episode, so it's fine." My wife is listening. She's got our baby, Libby, and 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 their child. Most episodes remain in the background, (laughs) listening. And we get to hear Libby's thoughts from yeah. time to time. Which Libby, is we just hear a random voice, like sort <laughs> they're, of rolling in the background. Anyway, I was raised uh, in this fundamentalist Christian, non-watching TV and movies household, where I once had an episode of Northern Exposure on, and the the, per, the guy said, Northern Exposure will be right back. And my dad said, Northern Exposure will be right off. So that was the kind of house I was raised in. And... Uh, what was, what was the problem with Northern Exposure? It was, I mean, it was, it was a CBS too, drama. There wasn't it was, anything. no, it was too, it was Risque? too queer friendly. It was too, oh. there was too many, too many people having sex outside of marriage. Like, I mean, I'm talking, I like, we stopped watching pilots, Home Improvement. Kind of that. I mean, you know, yeah, we stopped watching Home Improvement because they made, like, the dad was too much of a buffoon. Like, that was the kind of household I lived in. So that's tough. Okay. I, I so when I think about the 80s, I have seen nothing from the 80s. I you know I've seen the the big I've seen the big movies. I've seen the Raging Bulls, the Blue Velvets, the you know the big hits, the Ghostbusters, etc. But I saw those later in my 20s. So like people will be like Ghostbusters, that fucking rules, and I'm like it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> um, and the the first year I started really seeing movies was 1993. That was the year when I was like, I went and saw Jurassic Park. I went and saw The Fugitive. I was cognizant of movie culture. I rented a bunch of shit on video. Because here's another element of this. I grew up 45 minutes from the nearest movie theater by drive. So it wasn't easy for me to see movies. I probably saw 
you know, four movies a year in theaters. And that was like a high. And so I just rented everything. And I, but like 93, I'm renting a lot of stuff. 92, I'm still kind of not allowed to see anything along those lines. In fact, I think two movies in the theater. I saw two movies in the theater. One of which we know. One of which is Aladdin. And the other one will be revealed when we cover that film. And every week I'm just going to, you know, Make, so I can't just wait till we stumble upon it because yeah, there's no way for me to know. <laughs> it's you're going to be so like it's not it's not going to be a huge surprise, but you're right. going to be like, what? This is a weird one. <laughs> it's can't like uh, it's wait. like my wife, her dad took her and her younger brother. They were both probably like ten or eleven to see White Man Can't Jump in theaters. It's just like, what if that was the one? What if I was like, I was over? raised in a religiously conservative household, but okay. I got to see no. It was. No. It's not white man can't jump. I'll I will say that. this though. Uh, you know, Libby, your wife Libby, uh, yes. did come on the 1989 Patreon to talk about Steel Magnolias with us. Yes, um, a, a, a big movie for her. Seems yeah. like that was a big movie, and and it's it's interesting because like I don't think that that movie is particularly progressive, right? Like, is no. there anything risque about that film? But that's a film you were not allowed to see when you were. 12. Yeah, I was. You know, I I think. I think some of this was everyone could tell I was a girl and everyone was uncomfortable about that. So I was kind of like, I had my gender really harshly policed. I remember we walked out of little mermaid, which is a film about a trans woman. That is like true. Um, It's uh, and the, uh, and we walked out of it and my father immediately was like turning it into a Christ allegory, which it kind of is, you know, King Triton gives his life for his daughter or whatever, but he was just like, you see that movie was really about God. And I was like, okay, I should not, want to be look like ariel then and now i do can't it be both yeah listen here's the thing <laughs> no one can prove this isn't true i look exactly like ariel from the no it's Mermaid. true no one can prove that that's yeah true. especially the the patrons that are watching these videos. <laughs> uh well listen guys uh, this is the reason to get the patreon this is the you reason can, to get the you patreon can see me. So you I can see just how like much ariel. emily looks like ariel um and and also just uh, you know to to support the podcast and 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 all of that. But listen, uh, we're so thankful for people that have listened a to this episode, b that are going to go on this journey through 1992 with us. We're also, for what it's worth, there's a handful of television shows that we also want to cover. Not the same level of television as you would imagine. Uh, you know, Northern Exposure being one of those film, uh, one of those TV shows in '92. Uh, you know, your Melrose Places, your what have you. There's, there's a there's a couple that we'll dip our toes into, and we'll have um, you know some some TV uh, professionals come on and talk about that with us. But overall, this is going to be mostly uh, focused on on the films of 1992, and uh, and you know, we'll just see where it takes us. Presidential election will be well, yes. We'll be analyzing we'll also, every candidate. Yeah. We will have I do one wanna, episode dedicated just to Ross Perot. I do want to ask you. I feel like you probably were not keeping diligent top tens in '92, but do you have a sense of like what your top five from the year might be? That's a, that is a good question. You know, because I, I thought about that. Because obviously, listeners of our podcast know that in the past, Kenny and I and I have done a sort of our top ten lists. I mean, listen, if I'm being real. Uh, I didn't. This is. I'm going to tell you something that's kind of shocking, Emily. I didn't really like Batman Returns when it came out. Wow. Uh, when I saw it when I was 12, uh, I was just like, "What's what is happening?" Um, it was a quick turnaround in the sense that probably within like a year or two, I aged up enough that uh, my sexual awakening came into play, and I was like, "Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer." That's, and Danny that's, DeVito. Let's not Danny DeVito. Um, th- and, and it sort of changed my whole perspective. But um, I mean, listen, it would probably be I loved Wayne's World. I loved A Few Good Men. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked Aladdin for what it was worth. I really liked Scent of a Woman when I was 12 um, because, hoo-ha. you know, it's hoo-ha. It's, and it's a, it's, a, it's a boy movie. It's a movie about like, aren't women glorious? I don't know. Like, there's just something about it. Um, and, and I honestly really liked the player because I thought, oh, well, this is what Hollywood is like. Like, it was kind of my entree into this is what the inner workings of Hollywood is like. Spoiler. It's not really like the player outside of like the first shot where everyone's pitching things to executives. Outside of that, it's not really a particularly. But all that being said, um, those are the ones that jump out at me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time. My rankings would have been um, Aladdin, Few Good Men, Wayne's World, 
the movie, other movie I saw in theaters, which will not be named. And if you like that, that year, a new sight and sound list came out. And actually, I think I saw Home Alone 2 eventually. So I put that number five. Sure. That year, and our Home Alone 2 episode is going to be a banger, Phil. It's going to have so many embarrassing stories about me. Um, If you had told me that your sight and sound list had those five films atop it in 1992, I'd have been like, sounds right. That sounds just about right. Um, The, uh, now that I'm, now that I'm, and I bring up Sight and Sound because yeah. my favorite movie from 92 is Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me, which would be on my top 10 of all time. Like, really? It, yeah, I made a Sight and Sound ballot and put it on Twitter at some point, And like, I had Firewalk with Me on there. I'd have Unforgiven up there. I'd have Malcolm X up there. Oh, um, now I would uh, have Malcolm X at the time. Yeah. I yeah. I, like, now that I, now that I've seen some of these movies, but there's a lot I haven't seen. I'm very excited to check out. I'm excited to. Yeah, I'm excited to check out some of these movies. I'm excited to see Enchanted April, which won like six Golden Globes. I'm excited to see that. You know, maybe it's great. Maybe it's great. Here's a question for you. Um, The sight and sound at the time, I don't know what it was, but I'm I'm assuming it was all sort of the the movies that you would expect it to be. But um, what what is interesting, too, just as a shout out, another big movie that came out, or at least a career that started in 92 was Baz Luhrmann. He had strictly ballroom which won best score at the baftas um he he also sort of was one of those filmmakers that i don't feel like the first movie i I think a lot of people think his first movie is romeo and juliet is the point i'm trying to make i I don't i don't think a lot of people know about strictly ballroom as much i always confuse it with the film swing kids which is not at all the same film (laughs) Is that 92? No, I think Newsies is 92. I was so upset that Swing Kids was not 92 because I had is the perfect, 93? I had, it's 93. I had the perfect guest for it. And I'll tell you off Mike cause I don't okay. want, I don't want to blow up their spot. <laughs> <laughs> Swing Kids is a movie that in my, I've never seen, but I, I just, it's dancing Nazis, right? Isn't that kind of what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, 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 it's dancing during world war two. Well, and like literally, my only like, I can't believe I'm doing a swing kids tangent on this episode. I promise it would be short, but I, when I was in college, I worked in a summer theater program and my wife was also there and Libby and I walked into the the business office where we all worked and they were watching a movie on TV and it was the end of swing kids. And it said something like in all 56 swing kids were killed at the hands of the nazis and libby and i both burst into laughter and this other woman like glared at us and was like this is sad they died and it's like it's like yes it is sad that like you know i'm a queer person i have you know i think genocide is bad that's just a thing i just like when you say 56 swing kids died is just just an inherently funny statement to make i'm sorry it's true it's true i i mean i i can't wait to talk about newsies just to to bring it back to 92 very quickly (laughs) um i i will say that i'm excited to talk about newsies not just because sd has said that she's going to come back to talk with us about newsies but also because that's one of those movies that and there are a bunch of them in 92 and we'll talk about them but that's a movie that like kind of flopped in 92 yeah, and then became this like sensation on video as all these kids started watching newsies for reasons I don't, I couldn't tell you, but it became this thing. Like I can't tell you how many friends of mine I have that are like hardcore newsies stance. Now maybe it's cause there was a, how long did the, there was a Broadway musical version of it. Am I, am Broadway I musical didn't run that long. I think it okay. ran just okay. under a thousand performances. Like it certainly was a success, but I do think this is a movie that just like was on video and kids right. of a certain disposition um, just who love like a kid by that. I mean, that makes it sound like I'm making fun of somebody, but I just mean sure. literally kids who like musical theater. Like that was kind of the one thing you could see that wasn't animated at the time. And uh, yeah, I have, I have complicated I feelings also, about it. Yeah. I think it, I, I, I'm conflicted. It was, I have not watched it since I was a kid, but I also wonder if this is another one of those films that played continually on television, like on the yes, Disney channel. Probably on Disney so you'd be yeah. sort of like inundated with it and you're like, Oh good. The dancing uh, newspaper boys are back. <laughs> the thing is I've seen it. I've seen it maybe three times. I think it's a fun movie. I, I like it just fine. I can for the, cannot for the life of me remember any of the songs in it i just like i just always have in my head that there's a song where robert duvall shouts newsies go home but there yep. isn't like that's just a thing my brain has made up 
I so here's and and this will be the we'll wrap this up here. Uh, Santa Fe. There's a song about Santa Fe in this movie and in Rent, and yes. they're the same song in my brain. I know yes. they're not. Yes. <laughs> It's like, I think that the musical Dear Evan Hansen has a song that goes, Dear Evan Hansen, I sent you a letter. And it doesn't at all. I just, <laughs> that's just the thing that my brain invented. Here's the, here's the sight and sound from 1992. Oh, I'm going to run through it real quick. No, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, Rules of the Game, number two. Number three is Tokyo Story. Number four is Vertigo. Number five is The Searchers. Then there is a four-way tie at sixth for Atlanta, the Jean Vigo movie, uh, Battleship Potemkin, Passion of Joan of Arc, and Pather Panchali. And number 10 is 2001, A Space Odyssey. I assume that falling just outside that 10 at 11 was Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> I, I, You know, it isn't, I, I, and, and this will sort of be as we wrap up this episode. I think it's interesting that... You know, there was a big deal about the sight and sound list coming out this year, like a surprising big deal. It felt like everyone was just like real primed for it, at least in film Twitter of just being like, when's it going to drop? When's it going to drop? And then it dropped. And the first movie on the list was a movie that no one had ever heard of. And I had heard of it. I mean, okay. Well, I hadn't, but I, and I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. I, what it's like five hours of, she makes a meal or something like like that. It's three and a half hours. It is, it is brilliant and wonderful. And, and I think you will actually like it, but you do have to like really like sit and concentrate on it, which I think is hard to do at home. So, yeah. All that being said, you, you reading out those 10 movies on the site and sound and, and most of them. Are, are, are what you would imagine you know what i mean yeah. like of a film scholarly list of movies that you know whatever i do think that seeing how it's changed and what the list was like today versus what you just read i think is pretty fascinating and does show first of all how sort of second sound has become a little bit more global it's it, it's not nearly as sort of kind of niche and that's yeah. that's, that's interesting and like they asked very like they asked only a handful of critics in 92 and this last year i think they sent out ballots to over a thousand people something it's a yeah. huge number of people that i was not included is really mean I, i'm i'm not i don't mean to laugh i am legitimately surprised you were not asked. i mean i mean you i mean i'm just saying the british hate me let's just face it it's okay. the, the brit the brits are transphobic <laughs> i mean that actually is true. Earth Islands is keeping me from voting on sight and sound. We have to stop before I say something that gets me canceled. Okay. okay. Uh, this was great. Please listen. Continue listening to our 1992 uh, series as we continue on this Friday as we drop our episode on Aladdin with SD. Hi. Yay. Yeah.